Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. You know, on my podcast, my intent is to give some historical perspective about the Disney parks and talk about some interesting things and then talk about more of the technology, more of the design aspects, things like that. That's actually my intent. As you may have noticed over the years, that's kind of what I talk about. And then I give some firsthand accounts of things that I see and things that I do and have a little fun with it. And then occasionally I delve into news. But since this pandemic began back in March, as far as we're concerned, uh, this podcast has kind of served as sort of a news vehicle as much as anything. And I think you probably about half the time I've done podcasts between March and now, I've done something about news. Because there's so much happening and so many moving parts and so many things going on that I think it's worth spending some time on. So this is another one where I'm going to talk a little bit about the company and uh, Walt Disney World specifically. And we'll, we'll go through some things that are going on. So I'm going to start off talking about the general company. And uh, one of the first things I wanted to talk about was Joe Rohde. Uh, Joe Rohde has been a long-serving uh, Imagineer. Um, he's the guy you recognize. He's got the uh, the big earring and the feather uh, in, out of the earring and the um, the mustache. And interesting guy. He worked on a lot of the more current attractions, so Expedition Everest and uh, some of the other uh, more current things that you that you see out there. And he's got an interesting perspective on the world. He's been with the company for about 40 years, so he's got some ties to the Imagineers of the past because he was around in the early days of you know like Epcot and so forth, where there was a lot of the old Imagineers around. So he's got that connection. Um, but he's finally going to retire from the company. And it's kind of a sad day in a way because we lose another uh, contextual link to our past as uh, Disney fans, right? There's one more person who's not, who's not going to be there. So we wish Joe well in his future endeavors and you know, hope he has a, a nice retirement and can do some fun things. But it's just one of those moments when you have to take, reflect back and go, wow, he did a lot of interesting things for the company. So it's worth, um, worth considering. And one day I may do a podcast about uh, a bunch of the Imagineers and uh, some of their specific contributions to the parks and what they did, because each of them had something interesting that they contributed. They bring different skills to the table, and it's all kind of neat and interesting, and I think it's worth taking some time to talk about. Another thing, um, we're talking about the uh, restructuring of the sports, entertainment, and streaming uh, aspects of the Walt Disney Company. So the Disney Company came out with an announcement that they want to restructure a lot of that. So the sports arm is going to become very tightly sports-focused. They're do- doing away with the more entertainment pieces of it. Um, personally, I had, a, I had a, a, a sort of an affinity toward the Dan Levitard show because it was more uh, about entertainment and less about sports. When he started off 20 or so years ago on the local market on the radio, he was fantastic because he had a different perspective on things. Yeah, it's evolved over time, but it, it was always interesting. But fewer and fewer of that type of personality are going to be appearing on ESPN as far as the sports arm goes because they're looking for more very specifically targeted sports things. And I get it. I understand it. But it's kind of interesting how that kind of plays out. 
uh, the way things change. So uh, really, really different. And uh, um, you know, I don't know where ESPN is going to wind up. And this is all part of that, what I've talked about in the past about the fact that they have all these different uh, options where they were making money on uh, the cable service specifically. And they can't make that money that way anymore. That, that revenue source doesn't exist the way it did before. And they're still trying to reinvent themselves to figure out how to make money as opposed to putting money uh, getting money directly from the the uh, consumer for having a uh, having ESPN available on your cable company. So, kind of a interesting problem that they have, and they're trying to figure it out. On the entertainment side, they're trying to figure out how to better work within the entertainment industry to redefine themselves. So many of the entertainment companies are figuring out how to go directly to streaming, and uh, Disney's Mulan experiment seemed to be fairly su- successful. So you're going to see more of that happening, where you're going to see uh, different uh, companies. Uh, and especially Disney going directly to streaming and doing more things like that, making more direct to streaming production. Um, they're going to have fewer th- general theatrical releases. I think what you're going to see in the industry is more uh, releases that go to streaming first and then go to the movie theater for a very specific amount of time, um, but only very select movie theater change rather than every chain. And so you'll see movies show up there for a week or two weeks, then they'll go back to streaming. So it's kind of an interesting mix of things that are going to happen here, but the entertainment industry is changing, so Disney has to be aware of that. And then you also have the streaming aspect of that. Disney has Disney Plus and Hulu, since they own Hulu outright, and there's, they consolidated the, the hierarchies of both organizations into one VP, so they all became sort of one arm now. So the question is, do they merge the two together in some way, or do they keep them separate, or do they morph them and change them in some way, or do they become something else other than what they are? And I don't think anybody knows the answer to that yet, but it's interesting when you look at it because Disney is trying to figure it out as they go. And every time you hear about something else that happens, something else happens, something else happens. And, you know, you keep hearing these things and you go, wait, this is all kind of coming together in some way. Now, one of the entertainment executives made the comment that this is like a bloodbath as far as the number of executives they got rid of in the entertainment industry. And it applied to sports as well. And it's kind of interesting when you look at it and you go, wow, they did get rid of a lot of their uh, higher levels and they consolidated a lot of the operations. But this all goes along with the idea of not having separate entities that do movies, separate entities that do streaming, separate entities that do production. These have got to all be one thing. And uh, so that's where it's all going. And it's yes, it's probably a bloodletting, but it's probably uh, overdue at this point. It was going to happen anyway. Now, as far as streaming, I got to tell you, the Mandalorian series that's on Disney Plus is outstanding. It's exactly what you wanted the Disney movies to be, the Star Wars movies that Disney produced. You, those are The Mandalorian does all of the things that I had hoped that the movies, uh, episodes 7, 8, and 9 that they, they produced would do. It covers much of the ground that I was going to hope, that I was hoping they would cover, you know, because you talk about Jedis and you talk about Mandalorians and you talk about what happened to the Empire after uh, the um, episode 6, uh, you know, uh, The Return of the Jedi. And you've got all these things that come together, and it's really fascinating. It's a really well-done story, and they do a great job of producing it. It's uh, got a high production quality value, um, but it's really, really well thought out. And when you look at it, you go, wow, this is just amazing the way they're doing things, and I really am uh, enjoying it thoroughly. And if you haven't watched it, why not? It's a really good series, well worth watching. And of course, Baby Yoda, where can you go wrong there? Turning to Disneyland for a few minutes, uh, what we've learned is they had reopened parts of their parks, so basically restaurants and shops, and now with uh, California going under new restrictions, some of what opened is now going to be closing again, (laughs) so it gets a little crazier. Uh, Many of the restaurants can't stay open, and some of the 
other places that are open are starting to close too. Now, Disney announced that there was going to be another 4,000 layoffs uh, and uh, that was going to come from around the company. The governor of Florida said it's mostly Disneyland, not Florida, but I'm still not sure what that actually means. And then Disneyland laid off another 11,000 people right behind that. <laughs> so you got to take that and go, wait a minute, how many people did they lay off? You know, I don't, I think Disneyland employs something like 40,000, so it's maybe 25%-ish of their workforce that they laid off, so it's kind of crazy. Now, as a result of Disneyland being closed, they did uh, start offering annual pass refunds for premier annual pass holders. Those are the ones that held both pass, passes to both Disneyland and Disney World. So because Disneyland is closed, they started issuing refunds because you can't go to Disneyland. So kind of an interesting problem there. But uh, good on Disney to try and do the right thing by their by their uh, the people that have the passes, their annual pass holders. Now, in response to the number of people that have been laid off, uh, Abigail Disney, uh, she's the daughter of Roy O. Disney, if I'm not mistaken. She had a lot of um, things to say, maybe not the nicest words, about the Disney company and how they're treating their cast members and what they're doing. That this is not probably the way she would think they should do it. Um, of course, it's up to the company to decide. Bob Chapek, Bob Iger really get to dictate this and decide it. But it, um, it's interesting because her perspective is that she, they should be helping the cast members more. And it's an uh, it's intriguing problem. I don't know what the answer is. I don't claim to know. I'm just kind of throwing that out there as news that Abigail Disney has said something contrary to what the Disney company is doing. Now, Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, who's big on helping people and financial uh, things and, you know, making sure that workers are well compensated and whatever. She's also had a lot to say. I mentioned previously that she'd sent a letter to Chapek and Iger asking a lot of questions and she amped up her rhetoric a lot more when she heard about another 4,000 and now 11,000 layoffs. You know, it's just, there's some interesting questions that come out of that. And, you know, I'll talk about this in my one little spark a little bit, but there's some there's some interesting problems here. You know, you, you've we've uncovered a lot of things in our society that look like little holes because you know here's a pandemic, and the rich get richer, and the people who are serv servicing on the low end don't have jobs. So there's something kind of weird about that, and you know we need to, we need to rethink that. But more on that in a little while. As far as Disney World, uh, one of the things they were talking about or got batted around a little bit was what if they put in COVID tests. And you had to have your results on hand before you could enter the parks. Now, that's an intriguing idea. Uh, if you could get your testing down to a short amount of time and uh, turn it around quickly, uh, then it might actually work. And this is the kind of thinking that really drives innovation, right? When you start thinking about it from that perspective, you start thinking about how to solve the problem on a grander scale. So I, I applaud their thoughts on it. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if they'll actually implement it, but at least they're thinking it through. How do we make it safer for people to come in? Again, still no outbreaks at Disney World, so things are good, but that could change tomorrow. And how do you continue to keep them good? Now, since things are good, they've talked about maybe bringing back some fireworks shows, you know, a couple evenings a week or, you know, something like that, maybe having some fireworks over the castle. Um, they haven't announced anything. It's just sort of a thought process, but as they think about how they can get better with COVID and how the things they can do, perhaps they could bring back fireworks and keep people socially distanced on Main Street or around the park to allow them to see things. Now, I talked about previously there could be a drone show they could do that would allow you not to have to stand in one place. You may not stand by the castle right by the forecourt and actually look up at the, at the fireworks. It may be all around you. And that would help solve the problem too. You could so socially distance in that case and put people in little 
uh, areas where they're away from other people. And perhaps you would get a better view of the, of the fireworks and, or the display that they put up. So we'll see. Um, I think it's an intriguing thing that this could work out. Now, an interesting thing happened uh, over Thanksgiving. The parks are at about 30% capacity or so. But over Thanksgiving, people were sharing pictures online of what looked to be fairly crowded parks. Now, to be fair, I think one of the things Disney is doing is they're not doing a lot of indoor queues. They're making people wait outside. So in those longer queues and no Fast Pass Plus, there's sort of that perceived wait time kind of thing going on where the lines look really long or there's a lot of people standing around. So it probably looked worse than it was, but it just goes to show you that people are willing to take the risk and go to Disney at various times. And I suspect over the holidays, they will probably fill up park capacity um, most days between the two or three week period around the holidays. I'm sure that's going to happen. But if you do go, just be safe, follow the rules, do all the things you can do and be smart. You know, make sure that you're doing the, the right things and keeping yourself and your family safe and protect others too by wearing your mask and doing the right things. And I'll get back to masks in just a minute. Now, I wanted to talk about um, the uh, automated scanners that they're putting in place. Now, all of the theme parks now have some number of the entr entryways have these automated scanners. And these automated scanners are really cool because they take your temperature and they also uh, do a quick bag check. And if anything comes up as irregular, then you're directed to a, a cast member, a security cast member to go through your bag. But Overall, this is a much more efficient way to get people in the parks. You need fewer cast members to touch the bags. You have less interaction with the cast between the cast members and the guests in that direct space where you're going through the bags. And um, you're actually more efficiently screening the bags in that case because you're looking for very specific things. And with the temperature checks, you're kind of getting part of the way, again, about that innovation. How do we get past this with COVID? You're doing some things that are a little bit smarter because temperatures are one indicator that someone's sick or could be a carrier. So you have one level of information. It's not the ultimate piece of information you want, but you're starting to get there, right? It's a, it's a step in the right direction. And if we do more of that, all the better. Now, uh, I wanted to talk about um, the uh, park hopping. Uh, so as more people come in the parks, you're going to hear about, uh, you know, people can only go to one park, you make your reservation, you go to uh, the one park for the day. Now, they've mentioned that in 2021, they want to start allowing for park hopping to return, asterisk. And I say that because the plan is to let people go to one park in the morning. You, you select your park just as you would. You do your park reservation, and you go to that one park in the morning. And then you reserve another park for later in the day. It's like after 2 o'clock. You can't go like 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock. It's got to be you, you have your first park that can go until 2 o'clock, and then from 2 o'clock on, you can go to the other park. And the park hours are still going to be relatively limited, so you're still getting a window in there for some period of time in the other park. So the idea is to allow you to go to one other park during the day. And it's based on reservations, again, availability. Um, so you kind of have to still do some planning, but at least you could go to a second park in the same day. So you're getting the park hopping sort of back because you can do other things. Now, they did uh, immediately um, correct and amplify and you know say something about very specifically the rise of the resistance ride at um, the studios. The way the ride currently is working as far as the queuing goes, you arrive at the park, they have three boarding groups. I think it's, um, I think it's nine, 11 and two or something like that. Um, uh, 10, 12 and two maybe, I don't know, something, something like that. They have some different boarding groups that you get into. 
So when you go in the park, you can sign up. Once you're inside the park, you can sign up to be in one of those boarding groups and you can get on the uh, rise of, the, you get a, a boarding group to go on the rise of the resistance. So it's similar to what they were doing before uh, they uh, reopened after COVID, but it's, uh, it's so you, you get this reservation, but it's a little different because they're tiered and they're staggered. So depending on when you come into the park, you may still have an opportunity to get one. But because they're going to allow for park hopping after two o'clock, you can't get one if you come if you hop over to um, the studios. So you have to be in the studios in the morning in order to be able to ride Rise of the Resistance. Otherwise, you can't ride it. So you can you can hop over to it, but you can't specifically ride that attraction. I thought that was an interesting caveat that they made, very specific. Um, they don't want people to take advantage of the system and go somewhere else and then show up at two and be able to get a ride reservation. They want people to be in that park to be able to get the reservation. So it's, uh, you know, this is intriguing. And I think Disney is playing with a lot of the different technologies to see what's going to work long term for them so they can decide what things that they're going to do uh, in terms of uh, making these these new, how they can enhance FastPass Plus, how they can do more things, how they can do these virtual queues and do more things to make it more interesting and intriguing. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see where this nets out because they keep trying different things. I keep hearing about these little nuggets of information where they tried this or they did that and Hopefully, one of these sticks and it works out really well, and they come up with a really good solution for how to do FastPass Plus or you know FastPass 2.0 or <clears throat> whatever you want to call it. Now, one more thing about the parks, and that's about the Morocco Pavilion. The Morocco Pavilion is actually run by the government of Morocco. It's a it's a company that's authorized by the government that was running the entirety of the Morocco Pavilion, from the entertainment to the, uh, to the uh, restaurants to the, um, the cast members who were working in the, in the shops. They were all employed by the Moroccan government, essentially, and were running the, the organization. So it was sort of separately run from Disney. These were contracted employees who were running there, working there, uh, based on working for the, uh, the Moroccan government. Now, there's only one other pavilion, I think, in, the, in Epcot that does that, and that's the Japan, Japan Pavilion, and that's, uh, that's actually run by the Mitsukoshi Corporation. But the Morocco Pavilion is the other one. Now, the Morocco Pavilion uh, encountered some issues. Based on the pandemic, they applied for a PPP loan, much as many other organizations within Disney did. I think pretty much every contracted company within Disney uh, also ap applied for a PPP loan, and so did Disney, to try and make sure that they could cover some of the needs of their cast members and whatever. Um, so they got the money, the Morocco Pavilion got the money, and then kind of did some oddities with the way they handled it, and they didn't reopen when they were supposed to, and they have some other issues with um, the labor that they have, because some of them come over from Morocco on specific visas that they no longer can come over on, and they were sent home. So you've got a, a dearth of people that are working there, so you're, you, know, you were kind of shorthanded as far as that goes. Then um, Disney got involved and it got very complicated in a legal sense, sort of a technical sense of where the PPP money went, who got it, how Disney was involved. All of these things happened that were a little unusual. And there was a little litigation that happened back and forth between the Morocco Pavilion and Disney. Then Disney sent a letter of notice of termination to the Moroccan organization that was running this, so effectively within the government, saying that they were going to take over all operations uh, at the Morocco Pavilion. So... Disney moved in and took over everything. So some of the um, some of the things that were there before are not there currently. But then you may not expect them to be because of the pandemic anyway. But uh, some of the some of the restaurants and uh, shops are not open. Uh, the entertainment is obviously not there either. But 
all that ceased because Disney took over and is now running it as a Disney-run property instead. Now, what's going to happen there and where this all nets out legally, who knows? I mean, it'll probably happen all behind the scenes and everybody will work it out as they always do. But I just found it really interesting that this was one where the whole pandemic and the fact that people couldn't travel and there was money changing hands through the, uh, the, um, the payroll protection uh, deal that the government was running, all of those things kind of figured in there and it didn't work out quite right and everybody sort of wound up failing in some way. And now Disney runs the Morocco Pavilion. So... Just interesting. And when they reopen fully, I'll be curious to see what the Morocco Pavilion looks like because you won't have Moroccan citizens working there necessarily anymore. You might have some, but certainly they won't be all uh, Moroccans. And that's true of pretty much all of the Epcot pavilions. You're not going to see all of them running at full capacity with the number of exchange students that they had working there. Uh, so you won't see a lot of people there who are necessarily here on an exchange program working in the pavilion. You might still have some people who are from those countries or from your neighboring countries uh, who come in and work, but may not be exactly from the nation that you are looking at. So it'll be interesting to see what they do and how that all plays out. Now, as far as um, masks go, there was an interesting thing that's been going on. And it's that Disney is enforcing the mask policy 100%. If you go in the parks, you have to wear a mask all of the time, except for when you're in an active area where you're eating or drinking. And that's only in those designated areas. If you walk outside those areas, you have to put your mask back on. You can't eat on the fly. You can't drink on the fly. You have to go to those one of those areas and take your mask off to eat and drink. Period. No, no, um, no exceptions to that. So Disney has been enforcing it and been fairly successful in enforcing it, except for a couple of occasions where things you know, kind of go wrong, right? And a couple of times things have happened. So one of the things that they said was they were going to start they were going to start to enforce a rule where they're going to stop an attraction if somebody takes their mask off. I guess it happened a couple of times and people heard about it. And now Disney is kind of going to use that policy as something going forward where they, where they will stop an attraction if they think they need to because someone removed their mask. Now, we heard about a couple of um, maskless people who encountered issues. Uh, there was one maskless man who was clearly drunk at the studios, and uh, he was um, escorted out by the uh, security guards, and he wound up getting into a fight with a couple of the security guards, and it was kind of strange. Um, this one got recorded and you know put on the internet, basically, for, um, for everyone to see. And the guy started quoting Bugs Life and saying some things that were just like weird, and it was kind of a strange moment. It was like, what are you talking about, dude? But um, he was escorted out. There was another man who um, was in the studio somewhere and it was raining and they went under, a bunch of people went under a cover and there was a family that didn't have their masks on. So the man, they reported him as an elderly man. I'm not sure what that means exactly, but he said to them, hey, could you please put your mask back on for my safety and yours? And they got belligerent with him and got into a fight with him and wound up punching him and kicking him. And then they all left the park. That whole family left the park. Now, I don't know what part of that is actually true. This is just sort of the report we heard. But again, it's one of those oddities where you go, what is going on here with people in masks and whatever? You know, you just be polite to each other. Be kind. Be courteous. Um, didn't hear anything, any follow-up. So apparently they left the park and were not heard from again. So there was no follow-up done as far as I can tell. Though probably there was. We just don't know about it. There was a story over at the studios where there was a hip-hop performer who... Um, was uh, saying something, was trying to joke around with a cast member. He was, you know, he was standing in line and he took his mask off or something. And I don't know what the details were exactly, but he said something about having COVID and coughing loudly. And he was kidding, supposedly. But the cast member um, took offense to it and there wound up being an altercation. The man got arrested and taken out of the park. <laughs> so there was something odd there. You know, this is the kind of thing, we're in a, we're in a pandemic. You know, joking about it, 
not funny. You know, this is one of those things where you kind of go, yeah, there's something weird going on here. Um, then a while ago, there was another guy uh, who brought his family to the parks and they all went in. They were trying to go in without masks on and the, they were turned away at the gate. So they went back to the um, went back to their car and got something that they called masks that didn't meet the standard. Disney has a very specific standard about what they allow for masks, and they've updated that over time. But uh, they came in without uh, they tried went, tried to come in with those other things on, and Disney turned them away a second time. So the guy attacked a security guard and wound up getting arrested. You know, again, it's like just follow the rules. It's not that hard. It just follow the rules. Um, you know, kind of an interesting little problem. And then finally, there was one other story about a guy who uh, had, um, he's a country music singer, and he had, uh, had all his family take off their masks, and they took a, a family photo in front of some attraction. I don't remember where it was exactly. It might have been over at the studios somewhere. Um, but anyway, they took a photo, and um, he posted it online, and of course, got a lot of grief about the fact that everyone had their masks off. And he's like, relax, we just took them off a minute for a minute to take a picture. And here's the problem with that. That's fine and good, and I appreciate where he's coming from, but Disney has a 100% mask policy unless you are actively eating. There are no exceptions. He made an exception for himself. So what's to say someone else couldn't make an exception for something else or some other thing? You know, and he's like, well, we spent a lot of money to come here. We, you know, we have a lot of people, blah, blah, blah. You know, should be okay that we just did this for a minute. Again, I appreciate where he's coming from, but you have to be, you know, you have to follow the rules. Disney set out some rules and they set them out, set them up for a very specific reason. This is the way to keep everyone safe at the parks. And that's why they've been able been able to be open for a few months and keep the no, the uh, no outbreaks from happening. So you can't have these exceptions and these one-off things where people can do something. So I disagree with him on principle, but I understand what he's saying. So a couple other things for you. Um, the minivan service, that was that uh, car service that Disney was running. It was almost, uh, I think it was part of the Lyft system, um, the Lyft uh, rideshare service. They were running that and they had these uh, vans and uh, SUVs and a few cars that were wrapped like Minnie Mouse wrapping. And they had them uh, out there and they were running back and forth. And for, a, for some amount of money, they would pick up your family and take you somewhere else on property. Um, and this was, um, this was a clever idea. It was really pre-pandemic. This was, this was a way to make sure that you were um, taking care of your more uh, affluent guests who wanted to just get point to point and didn't have to wait for the buses and whatever, because buses are always a challenge. Um, they, uh, Disney had that going for a while, and then once the pandemic hit, there was no need for it anymore. Now, with the lower capacity and the number of things that are going on there, Disney has announced that they're going to discontinue the service, and there's no plan to bring it back anytime in the near future. So uh, they went ahead and um, they had leased all these cars from, I think it was General Motors, and they went ahead and returned them all. So a couple of people had seen some of these cars at like a Chevy dealer or, a, uh, I'm sorry, a General Motors dealer. And uh, was, we're assuming that they were going to be sold to the public. And the answer is no, they're not going to sell them to the public like that. They were returned as lease vehicles. Um, the, uh, the dealerships will strip the wrap off of it and then probably sell them after that, um, you know, as a, as a used vehicle, as a fleet return, um, because they do things like that where they will sell them, but they won't have the wrap on them when they sell them. So don't get too excited that you can buy one because you can't. Uh, they are back there behind the scenes at some of these dealerships around Orlando, but they'll be uh, stripped and then uh, of their... Um, wraps. They won't have the Minnie Mouse uh, decals on them anymore. Then they'll be sold off. So um, interesting. So that's a, a service that they will no longer have uh, available to, to the guests. Now, who knows what happens when they reopen if they do something else, because they'll probably come up with another means of getting people around that's different than what they do today. And they're probably already thinking about what that would be. 
Perhaps they'll enhance on the, uh, improve on or expand the Skyliner to other locations to make it easier to get from point A to point B without waiting for a bus. The Skyliner is very efficient if you're going between Epcot, the studios, or uh, the Art of Animation uh, or uh, Pop Century Resorts. Very, very efficient that way. Um, or the uh, Riviera Hotel. So if you're going to any of those locations, it's great. So if you add something like that, because it's constantly moving, and it, uh, it has broken down a few times, there are times when it's not in service, but in general, really, really efficient to move people around. So And uh, always moving, you don't have to wait for it. So really clever. So hopefully they'll continue to expand on that idea, even if it's not that specifically. So interesting, um, just one of, those, one of those things. Now, the other thing I heard about was this... Um, in Florida, there's the uh, Brightline rail system. Now, Brightline was this um, this partnership between the Florida East Coast Railway and uh, Virgin uh, Lines to create a, a rail service that goes up and down the coast of Florida. That was the intent. Then they kind of evolved it a little bit, and it was like we want to go from uh, from like Palm Beach to Miami, and that's a pretty fair distance. You know, it's uh, over 100 miles, uh, and you want to go um, you want to go efficiently back and forth between those locations. So they created this rail service that goes that way. What they wanted to do was extend it up um, to go into Orlando and then go over to Tampa, so you could easily get from point A to point B, and it could be at a high speed. So that way you could get to somewhere you want to get to very quickly. So. They've been talking about this for a while. They built most of the line now. It's mostly done. Um, and they had built up stations in Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, and Miami. I had those in, out of order there, so the southern point, point would be Miami, Fort Lauderdale would be the next one up, and then Palm Beach would be further up, and then the next stop would be Orlando. So you can easily get from South Florida to Orlando or from Orlando to South Florida. Now, where they were going to go was to the airport, but Disney finally agreed to allow the Brightline station uh, to allow for a Brightline station somewhere at uh, Disney Springs. So you would actually have a stop that would go to Orlando Airport and then would go to Disney Springs. So in theory, you could get from Miami to uh, Disney Springs in just under three hours, I think is what they were talking about, which is pretty good. Might be a little faster than that because the drive time from Miami, the point-to-point time from Miami to uh, the uh, Disney Springs is close to three and a half hours, and then you have your car right? And you, you see so you've, you've paid for gas and whatever. So this would be more efficient than you would use Disney transportation to get around from there. So this could be a really good thing. And then the next step will be to build from that same uh, station uh, there at Disney Springs over to Tampa. So that way you could go all the way from Tampa down to Miami in the, in the route. And uh, you could do it pretty efficiently. Now they, they may speed up the lines and go a little faster at some point. I don't know. Um, but that's coming. So that one is supposed to come in like 2022, but sometime in 2021, they'll have this way to go from Miami to Disney Springs. I look forward to that. I want to see what it looks like and what it costs for that matter. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what, what they do and how that works out. I think it's kind of interesting. They've talked about this for a long time. Um, at one point, there was going to be a rail service that was going to come up there, but the one thing Disney always objected to was having people be able to easily leave Disney property and go somewhere else. That's always the fear. So you, you, you're happy to have people come to Disney from anywhere else, but you don't want them to easily leave. That's why they offered like the Magical Express, because you get to the airport and they take you right to Disney property. You don't have a car. You don't have any way to get off, off property. You're, you're, for lack of a better word, stuck there in a good way, but you're stuck on Disney property and you can't go anywhere else. So by offering... Um, rail service that they had planned. They were afraid that people might actually leave Disney property and go to like Miami or something. So they always objected to the idea of it. But I guess now they're finally coming around to it in some way. 
I guess they, you know, the, the idea is they've created enough amenities and interest of people coming there with the DVC and other things that people want to stay there and they don't really want to leave anyway. So it works out to their advantage, I guess. So um, I'm kind of curious. I want to see where this all goes. And then finally, the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, some of the construction that's going on at Disney, uh, at Disney World. And specifically, the way I look at it, things that are in progress that had already broken ground, started, or were in progress when the pandemic hit, those projects will continue. And they'll be um, taken to completion. Some of them will take longer to complete than others, but they will all be taken to completion. So for example, um, Ratatouille, the entranceway, um, the uh, general nature of the four neighborhoods they had for Epcot, all of those things will go on. The things that aren't started, like Spaceship Earth Changes, the Mary Poppins ride, the play place that was gonna take over the uh, Wonders of Life Pavilion, and those kind of things, those are not gonna happen because they never actually got started. They had the concepts, they drew them up, but they never actually started construction on them, so they won't go anywhere. Um, now, on the other hand, some things will be scaled back. So when they talked about the idea for the central area of uh, Epcot where Innovations was, they wanted to have the World Celebration Festival, uh, the World Celebration Festival Center, and it was going to have a multi-tiered thing where you could have a, uh, a relaxation area where you could see out to the lagoon and see the uh, fireworks and so forth. And then it was going to have some sort of imagination things going on. That's scaled back to something called the festival area, which will be a smaller scale version of the same thing. Since they already can started construction on the innovations part of it, where like Club Cool was and that stuff, and on the other side where they had the uh, uh, the Umbrella Cafe, since that has already been started, those they will finish that part of it. So that still will be festival area, but it just will be different than what they originally had in mind. So you won't have this whole uh, festival center. It'll just be sort of a festival area. And I guess that makes it easier for them to have the year-round festivals that they're having. Look, they still did the Food and Wine Festival. And they're still having the uh, Holidays Around the World uh, dining um, carts that are set up. So they will continue to do that. And then in the spring, they will do the... Um, the ones that are the Flower and Garden Festival that has the booth set up. So there's always going to be a festival going on at, at Epcot. So you need to have those things going on. So just interesting. And uh, I, that's the way I see it. Well, anyway, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope I've given you something to, uh, to think about in that case. Uh, you know, a lot of things going on. Like I said, never intended this to be always a news segment, but it seems like every time I go away from it, I come back and it's like, oh, there's a whole bunch more news to talk about. So probably should talk about it. So I just wanted to share with you what I know. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. For my one little spark today, I'd like to talk about charitable giving. It's that time of year when everyone starts thinking about charitable giving and you start hearing more advertisements for some organizations that are looking for donations to help them out. And look, honestly, you should give to these organizations throughout the year. Pick several that you like, appreciate, want to help out in some way, and contribute to them. Do the things that make you feel good about yourself and help someone else in society. I think it's a really important thing to do that. And if you happen to work for a company that does some sort of matching or have an organization that will match, you should absolutely do that too if you can take advantage of it. So there's a, there's a tremendous benefit to giving gifts to people in that way where you're giving something back. But my bigger question is, why? Why are these organizations set up in a way where they have to have some sort of funding to be able to help the less fortunate or people in need? And the one that came to mind that got me thinking about this was the Ronald McDonald House. This is one that helps with kids 
with uh, debilitating diseases, cancers, other things like that, where they help the parents to find comfort and uh, get the treatment for the kids that they need. And, you know, they provide some amount of uh, financial support and, you know, a little shelter for people and things like that. My question is, why do we need that in society? In a, in a society like this, where we're supposed to be the first world nation, the one that has the largest, G largest GDP, why is it that we can't provide for the most vulnerable? These are kids. I mean, these are kids with pre-existing conditions as far as the uh, healthcare companies are concerned. They were born with some sort of a cancer or developed it in a very young age. And it's just, it's really sad that we don't think about this as far as society goes. The, the societal construct doesn't help us to understand why we can't help people. And that's my big question. You know, it kind of goes back to the whole thing about finding justice and finding the way to, to help the most. All of these things kind of come together. And here's one, another example of us giving, uh, giving contributions to organizations that do help people. And I, I'm not saying you shouldn't give because I think you absolutely should. My question is, why are we giving um, in a general sense about why, the, why there's not more government aid provided or other large corporations that are running these things? I, I realize the Ronald McDonald House is partially funded through McDonald's. That's why it's called that. But why, are we, why is it this way? Why do we have to specifically be giving to these organizations in order to help? How, they can't make ends meet without us. And there's always these fights in Congress about what, which organizations they should help and which ones they shouldn't and blah, blah, blah. But the bigger picture of what we can do in society to change this is really what I'm talking about here. So in the short term, find organizations that you believe in, contribute to them, give to them, give your time, your money, whatever you can give. Give, give a little bit, give back of yourself to help something, someone else. And then in a longer term picture, how do we fix this problem, this underlying problem of people have needs and we're not providing them. We're not providing for them. You know, there's, I'll use the uh, Disney cast members as a great example. Here they are, the, you know, many of them were displaced, as, that's the euphemism for being laid off, um, it, from their jobs at Disney World and Disneyland for that matter. And in Disney World, you know, you're in, living in Orlando where it's a tourist-driven economy and the tourism dollars are not there. So it's hard to find work. So if you're living there, you don't really have work to find. So you're living as any way you can. You're doing whatever you can to make ends meet. Maybe you're living with other people. Maybe you're taking um, some other subsidies. Maybe you've taken a you know part-time job doing something. But you're also looking for more. So there's food banks that help out and other contributions and small organizations that are helping to provide something to people that have been laid off like that. But why is it like that? This is a global pandemic. Why are we you know letting people suffer like this as opposed to trying to help them in some way? The company could have done more. I think they did a lot, but they potentially could have done more. And the government could do more too to kind of help make this work. You know, but they get so caught up in red tape, oh, we can't help this person or that person. Oh, but yet we can give PPP money to large corporations. So there's something messed up about it all. And we as people need to help fight back against the machine and start to, start to have an honest discussion about these kinds of things. How can we help in some way beyond just our contributions and our, uh, our time we spend helping people? What else can we do to uh, help change society in some ways and change the societal norm? So that's my one little spark for today. I just want you to consider it, think about what you can do, and maybe make a better tomorrow. And that's my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. 
We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.